Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast with Kirsty and Isaac. If you are an Amazon seller looking to grow your business with some of the latest tactics and strategies, along with some great guidance for your overall business, then you are in the right place. So pay attention and if needed, take notes. Let's get started. So hey, everybody, welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast. This podcast was developed by and for Amazon sellers to give you the latest strategies that are working right now to grow your Amazon business profitably, as well as how to plan for your future growth and lifestyle. So if you're currently selling on Amazon or you're looking to get started in selling private label products on Amazon, then you're in the right place to learn more about the ins and outs of the processes and strategies it takes to develop a long-term sustainable business that brings you income month after month and year after year. And today we have a very special guest with us. Yeah, that's right. So in this episode, we're going to be speaking with Sajag Agwal from Movely, which is a company that specializes in the process of inspections for both your factories and, you know, manufacturing your goods in China. And Sajag previously lived in China, actually, as well, and formerly ran a seven-figure Amazon business himself. So knows all about the trials and tribulations of us as Amazon sellers, especially with manufacturing, and is the current founder of Movely. So welcome, Sajag. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it and appreciate the the intro. And uh, yeah, super excited to provide as much value as I can. Yeah, brilliant. So normally, you know, what we like to do is, is get to know a bit about the person, you know, behind the the company and all the awesome stuff that you're going to tell us today. So maybe you can kind of give us a bit of background of how you got into number one, the Amazon business, and then how you got to found um, Movely as well. Yeah, definitely. So super interesting stories. So Actually, I went ahead and I started first uh, in e-commerce on eBay uh, before I went into Amazon. And uh, it was actually just like a general afternoon. I was out with my mom uh, actually shopping and uh, she took a very long time shopping. So I was kind of bored. I was sitting around in the store, kind of just waiting. And uh, you know, generally, you know, people play games and I got bored with the games and I'm like, all right, I need something to do. So I went on eBay and I was just researching. I needed like uh, some stuff for my phone. And I went on eBay and I started saying I was just bored. So I went high to low instead of low to high. And I started seeing that I could buy all these products in bulk. So instead of like one unit for $8, I could buy like 100 units for like $100. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is super interesting. And they're each selling for $8. And uh, so that's actually how I first got into eBay as I went into that. And I was like, okay, let me go ahead and buy uh, some of these units in bulk. Then I bought them and I sold them all out in like a matter of about a week or two. Lost a little bit of money on that because I didn't realize how shipping worked and stuff. So I was like trying to send it all with like 50 cent postage and then they were getting teared up and I had to refund a bunch of those orders. So it didn't really go well, but then I bought more inventory and then I sold that and I did it properly. I increased the price and I did the shipping and everything and it sold really well. And I uh, just started doing that with a lot of different products and a lot of different product lines. And that's actually how my first uh, e-commerce business started. And then from that, uh, what ended up happening is I was like, wow, the products that I'm selling here are kind of crap, to be honest. You know what I mean? They're eBay products, they're really low price. And uh, I learned a little bit about Amazon, I learned about eBay, and I was kind of diving into it. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, I could definitely make a way better version of some of these products I was selling. And uh, so then I started talking with manufacturers. I started like getting into the process. I was taking some of the money I was making from that business into this new business. And I basically started my own brand. And uh, I remember, like, still remember, like, almost like it was uh, not yesterday, but maybe a few days ago. And, um, you know, I went and uh, I, I got like first 1,000 units of my first brand, you know, with the box and everything made exactly like I was looking. And it was like so cool to have like my own products, like physically made in my hands in my house. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And um, I started selling those on Amazon because I originally started selling on eBay. But the problem is eBay's market was like super low price. 
people didn't really want that kind of stuff. It was more of a premium product because I was like, it's higher quality. So we sold on Amazon. And I was actually, um, that whole business just started. And it, the, the day it got into the Amazon inventory, like the day after, I was actually in line. There was like uh, this artist that came uh, to Chicago and I, I'm based out of Chicago. So I was like in line waiting for this artist to do like a record signing. And I started getting these emails from Amazon. The product you sold, uh, the product you know you shipped to Amazon has been shipped by Amazon or something like that. And I started getting those emails and I was like, wow. And um, that's actually, the, that was like my true start of my Amazon business. And um, it just started going and going and going. So our first year we did 40K, our second year we did a million. And on our third year, we were on track to do about 2 million a year. Uh, so it just started growing super, super quickly. And um, it just started taking off. But what ended up happening, unfortunately, was year two, year three, some of the suppliers that we worked with initially, we got lucky with the suppliers. So we had good products, good quality products, everything was good. But then two years later, you know, five, six, seven orders in, we started having quality control problems. Customers were coming in, they were saying, returning our products at super high rates. We're having warranty claims left, right, and center. Uh, you know, all kinds of problems, negative reviews coming in for previously what was a 4.9 out of five-star product. The ratings started dropping to like 3.9, 3.8, 3.7, this after selling for a year. So it was pretty bad problems. And uh, so, you know, especially for that review rating to drop so quickly. So we started having all these quality control problems. And also with some of the new products we were launching and expanding, we didn't get so lucky with the suppliers. So we started having more quality control problems on some products. We were seeing five to 10% defect rates, uh, dead on arrival units, other products, you know, from everything from like hook and loops, like Velcro products to like more complex electronic products. We were seeing sometimes hundred percent defect rates where the products were just breaking apart after a few months of use. And these were products that should have lasted a few years. And we actually gave warranties on that because, you know, that's what our competitors gave as well. And that's the only way we were able to sell them. So we just started having all these quality control problems. And the funny thing about that is we were doing everything by the book. So we were doing inspections on every single order, sometimes two inspections per order, one during production, one after production. And we had pretty good suppliers. A lot of our suppliers worked with our competition. But regardless, with those past inspections and those bad and those decent suppliers that you know we thought we were still getting all these quality control problems. So for our best-selling product that was driving like 50, 60% of our revenues, uh, that product had almost a three-month turn uh, lead time and a one-month shipping and a one-month sales time. So we're talking about a five-month turn time. So we had a lot of inventory stacked up when we started having all these quality control problems. So as soon as I found out about that, I actually moved over to China because I was like, I need to find and get to the bottom of the route. Otherwise, my business is on the line. So that's when I moved to China. It was back in 2017. And I lived in Shenzhen, which is where most of our suppliers were for about six months in the Dunguan, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, that region there, Guangdong province. And I uh, lived there and I was basically working 12 to 16 hour days every single day on the factory floor, learning about how my products were made, how they were manufactured, physically on the ground, you know, checking my own products on some of my own orders. And uh, what I started finding out is that all the problems that we were finding out from our customers those same problems, I was finding them when I was doing my own inspections, but my inspectors were not finding them. And in addition to that, you know, we also built better relations. We got into the production line. We got into a lot of other details too. Uh, but in a general sense, a lot of my issues should have been caught with inspections. And uh, that's actually what led me into Mavli because uh, I talked with a lot of different Amazon sellers and e-commerce sellers when I moved back to Chicago. And I asked them all, do you trust your inspections company? And including brick and mortar sellers. And the comment, the, every answer I got was to the tune of, I don't trust my inspections company, but it's better than doing nothing. 
And I was like, wow, like, you know, we're doing machine learning, AI. Uh, Elon Musk is like trying to do Neuralink. <laughs> He's trying to plug the chips into your brain. And we can't even make sure that, you know, an inspection was done properly, just, you know, halfway across the world. Like we got Skype calls, we have all this kind of stuff and we can't make sure an inspection was done well. So that's when I founded Movly. And I started diving a lot more into inspections because actually one of the stories that I had was that when I was in China, I actually watched one of my inspectors inspect my products. And it took me nine hours to do that same inspection. And the inspector told me, yeah, we can do it in a day. A day is eight hours. And uh, the inspector was supposed to show up at the factory around 9 or 10 a.m. He showed up around five hours late in the middle of the afternoon, around 1 or 2 p.m., then demanded lunch from the factory. And then after demanding lunch, proceeded to do the whole inspection, which took me nine hours in three hours. And lo and behold, when we got the report the next day, passed inspection because he didn't properly check the units. So that was actually the, one of the biggest things that really pissed me off because I was like, you know, I'm trusting this guy and these companies. And we worked with a lot of companies, the cut rate ones. We also tried the more expensive inspection companies. Uh, we tried the whole, you know, start to finish. And we were having problems with all of these companies. So that's when I started diving more into inspections, learning about the process and getting into it. And I started Movly. And the whole way we do inspections at Movly is completely different from any other company in the industry. And, you know, as I always like to say, we're not perfect. You know, we're never going to do a perfect inspection. There's always flaws and there's no way to prevent your inspections from being flawed. But I would say Movly, the way we do it is about two to three times more effective than other companies in the industry. And then we're working on building tech and all kinds of really cool stuff to get to that 10x level. So we want to be as close to perfect as we can get. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And, and we always, you know, every member that we work with and anybody that we talk to, obviously we, we, we recommend that people get their inspections done in China. And it, it's because a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'll just get it inspected when it gets to my, my house or whatever. So, you know, there's obviously huge issues with that, obviously just having it shipped, but kind of let's start back at square one and just kind of explain why they really need to even get the inspections done in China. Obviously with your story, that's, that's a pretty big uh, issue of having massive defect. You know, if they, if they ship it out and, and it goes to, to the Amazon, like that's a big issue. So like, let's just kind of start from the, from the, the biggest, you know, glaring issue first and just say, you know, why do you feel that they need to get inspections done in China? And then, you know, obviously do you feel you need to do them every order? And if so, kind of what depth of inspection kind of comes from that uh, between the first order and ongoing orders? Like what's the difference or is it the same every time? Yeah, definitely. That's a loaded question. So if I forget anything, just remind me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, starting off with uh, inspections of China, uh, you want to do inspections at the supplier facility before it leaves the supplier facility. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is the biggest thing is financial leverage. So if you, once you, the order has shipped from the warehouse or from the, the supplier's warehouse, right, you've lost your leverage. So if something's wrong with the products, you're not going to get your money back. You, you're basically stuck with the product. So all you're guarding against at that point is the fact that your customers will not get the problems, but you're still going to eat the loss. The second thing is that when you're at the facility, you actually have resources that the factory has. So if the factory has a lab, they have resources like machines that they test your product. They have, you know, warehouse workers that can help with the inspection process, et cetera you can also do a much better and much more thorough inspection versus something you do at your house. So, you know, say you have like a, you know, nonstick frying pan and say they have a machine that sprays water at the pan and, you know, tests the coating to make sure that the coating doesn't come off, you know, it's glued on properly. It might do that on one out of every thousand units or something in your production order, just to make sure it's manufactured. Well, now the inspector that does your inspection also has access to that machine and they can work with the factory to do those same tests at the factory on your products. And, you know, obviously 
I don't, you, you're not going to expect yourself to have that kind of machine at your house or in your garage or something like that. So, you know, it, it definitely reduces your risk considerably by getting a better inspection and also doing the inspection uh, at the fa factory. So you can make sure you have that financial leverage. So those are kind of the two biggest points. Uh, to go to your next question in terms of like how to do inspections, whether it's every order or whatnot. So similar to kind of my story and other stories we've heard from clients and other e-commerce sellers that I've heard from and kind of what we've seen as well, you know, it's not just the first order that can be bad. And I like to say the first order, like in Mavli, I believe it's like 60% of our first order inspections fail. So it's a little bit hard to get that because we don't know which one is the first orders, but, you know, we kind of measure it and we kind of gauge it and 60% of those orders fail and it could be higher. So with first orders, it's really a hit or a miss. So, you know, half the time, you know, it's a hit and the factory is doing a really good job and half the time it's a miss. And it's, when it's a miss, it's usually a widespread issue. It's like the color is wrong. Something's not fitting properly. Uh, you know, something is messed up. So for the first order, inspections are super, super important. And that is, you know, a clear fact. Uh, for, but for follow-up orders, you know, when you're doing second, third, fourth, fifth orders, there can also be a lot of issues that come up. So when it comes down to like second and third and fourth orders, what factories like to do is it's a little bit of game theory. So factories have an incentive to produce the cheapest quality products that you want to buy. So as long as you keep buying the products, they still like, they like to go a little bit cheaper every order. So on the fifth order, you're going to have maybe a dramatically different product than what you're buying on the first product. You might not be able to see it on the outside, but it might be the way the manufacturing process is run. It might be the raw materials. It may not be something you know you can see uh, you know visually, but you can actually you know use the product and you can your customers can tell that you know you can feel that. And in the same way, you know other factories, you know they they might not you know they may have great orders for you know the first order, the second order, the third order. Like we had fantastic orders with our suppliers for a whole year and a half. You know it was like five or six, seven orders, and then after that, all of a sudden they skipped a step in the production process. They try to cheap out, cut some corners. They're like, hey, you know, let's see how much you know, movement we have. And it could be because the supplier is shutting down. It could be because the supplier is growing too fast. There's so many different variables. Or it could just be the supplier is trying to cut costs. So the inspections on every single order make a lot of sense. And it's not just from a, you know, a common sense perspective, but it's also from a financial perspective. So I actually did a calculation that if you have, have a $10,000 purchase order and about 20 to 30% of those units are defective, after you take into account the product cost, the shipping cost, the packaging cost, uh, the shipping cost to the customer, you take into account the freight cost uh, as well, take into account returns, lost profit, customer support, and all these other expenses, and not even including negative review damage if you have to re-rank your products because of bad reviews, which is something that we had to do as well, and other expenses like that. Um, you know, Just looking at the measurable ones, that one bad order, whether it's the fifth order, the hundredth order, or the first order, that pays for all of your inspections sometimes up to seven years. If you're ordering like, you know, that's about 31 inspections you could pay for, uh, you know, just that one bad order. So that's really where inspections come in. It's like, it's inspections are almost an investment. It's like insurance, because when that one thing happens, when that one order happens, you know, that can pay for all your inspections for all the years. It's a preventative maintenance aspect that pays for itself tons and tons and tons of times over. Uh, so it does make sense. You want to do that on every single order because that one order that you miss, that could be, you know, the difference between those seven years of inspections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think as well, you know, when you mentioned that um, you were already getting inspections done, right? So this is what a lot of people do is they're like, well, I'm already getting my, my inspection done. Um, you said that, you know, obviously you went there, you you took the hard yards, you went and actually lived in China. Wow. That's a lot of dedication um, just to figure out, you know, exactly what you should be doing to be able to fix that problem. So what would you say, 
is some of the processes that you guys go through that say just a, a standard inspection company would do to really help with that insurance that you were just talking about? Yeah. So first of all, just to address your point, yeah, six months in China was pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, so I remember the first- I only made it a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember after the first month, there's no like Mexican food in China and it's all like Chinese food. And there was like one Indian restaurant, but like there was no like diversification in food. So after one month in China, I went to Hong Kong because Shenzhen is right next to Hong Kong. And I had Mexican food there and I, I loved it so much. Like it was just like, it was like a whole different world. Just that one Mexican food, like one meal after one month in China, it was like amazing. It was like the best Mexican food I've ever had. Nothing yeah. contained that. Well, going, to, going to back to Hong Kong after that, it's like going to some kind of Disneyland, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. It's like you're, you're back, people can speak English. Like I went back to Hong Kong and I spoke English to somebody and someone's like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I can speak to people again. <laughs> I don't need a translator. Uh, but yeah, so going back to inspections, uh, in terms of like process, there's a lot of different things that you want to do. So in a general inspection process, um, every inspection company you work with, for the most part, will do a visual inspection. So you want to do that visual inspection. You want to make sure, okay, hey, do your products have tears? Do they have visual defects? Is there problems you can see? But then there's a whole subsection, which I would arguably say is almost more important than the visual inspection. And that's called product tests. And those are specific instructions you do on your products make sure that they're tested properly. So that's kind of what I, what is, what my opinion is what's the most important. So for like, for example, if you're doing cables, you want to make sure the cable works. So you plug in the cable, make sure it works. Maybe it's a makeup, you know, sponge, you want to, you know, sponge it up, make sure it's not a rock, you know, make sure it works. So, you know, similar, what I always like to say is that, you know, when you get samples from your supplier, you did your own testing on those samples. Like, Hey, I like this sample more. Uh, you know, let me cook with this sample. Let me use this sample. Let me do this. I like the sample. I like the quality. I like the feel. I like whatever. So the same test that you did on your samples, give that to your inspector to do. So your inspector can do those tests at scale across the entire inspection. And that's really what makes it super important. So for example, for a nonstick pen, common test is take a couple of units and scrape it up with some steel wool make sure that the steel wool doesn't scratch up, you know, make sure that uh, the pan is not scratched up and make sure the coating doesn't come off. You know, that's an example of a wear and tear test that you might want to do on your product. So those product tests are also super important. And then obviously there's a lot of other factors that go into it as well, which is sample sizes um, and working with a good company that, you know, does proper training of their inspectors and whatnot. So there's a lot of like specific details too, but in a general sense, the product test is kind of the biggest piece of the inspection. And a lot of inspection companies don't even have an option for you to provide your own instructions. And the ones that do, oftentimes they don't have proper staff in the back end. So proper administrative staff, uh, they don't have proper translators. Uh, you know, you need some really expert level translators because if you're saying, hey, I need you to do these all these hand gestures on these products and the inspector doesn't understand that, there needs to be a process by which uh, you know, those are properly translated, properly explained to the inspector and uh, coming from you. So that way, you know, you can make sure that, hey, the inspector properly did my tests and properly looked at my units. Mm. Mm -hmm. Also, we've had people when we've worked with them in the past where say um, it's not necessarily just the product and the way that the product works, but the transit test. Right. So, for instance, if you could inspect the product directly at the factory and it's all great and it works, but then in transit, it gets broken for some reason. So would you recommend that people do that? Is that something that Moverly does as well is, is to look at transit tests? That's a really interesting uh, uh, 
point you brought up. So actually one of the things Mobley has standard in our inspection process is we do carton drop tests. So what carton drop tests are is we take the carton and we kind of simulate shipping damage. So we'll drop it a couple of times, a couple of random cartons uh, from like X number of feet, depending on the size and weight, we have like a spec for that. And then we actually look at all the units inside and make sure that, hey, the units are still good, everything looks good and there's no problems. Uh, so that's a common transit test we do. Now that's a standard test because, you know, so it's not gonna be like super, super duty, like heavy duty, because, you know, we don't wanna destroy your products. Maybe it's palletized and, you know, maybe it's whatever. So for a standard test, we just do it on kind of a medium, you know, small to medium grade basis in terms of like heavy duty to not heavy duty. <laughs> so in, in a general sense, uh, transit tests are definitely things you you should be doing. Like, you know, wear and tear tests on your products can sometimes help with that. But also, yeah, just make sure your products are packaged properly. They're well packaged. That's uh, something that we can check for. That's not something we check for proactively unless you mention that to us specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you tell us, hey, you know, we want to make sure there's bubble wrapping on the side of the units, you give us the instructions, the specifications that you set forth for your suppliers, we can actually inspect that and make sure, hey, the products are good. And that carton drop test is also very um, revealing because it tells you, okay, hey, you know, my products are working or my products are not. And one of the things is like, I think in a pretty high amount of our reports, that a carton drop test is actually denied by factories and uh, factories just say, Hey, we don't want you to do those. And that's a pretty, pretty obvious sign that, Hey, the factory does not even believe that this box can survive a three foot drop. So, you know, think about last time you went to the airport and you saw them, you know, taking your suitcases and loading them up to your, the, the airplane, <laughs> really take them and they throw them like seven feet. Like, you know, how is that? If you're, if you're, you know, if you're going to strip air freight or you're going to do DHL, someone's going to throw it a couple of different times. So if you can't even hold like a three foot drop on your, on your box, then, you know, you're probably not going to be in a good place when the products get to you. So that's a, a really, really key thing that you brought up. Uh, yeah. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I, I have a buddy who worked at like UPS or something like that. And he just remembers like people like jumping on boxes and kicking boxes. And I'm like, yeah, of course that's, they're not highly paid or highly skilled workers, not necessarily most of them. So they don't really care about their job and they don't care what's inside the box. So, um, and so, yeah, it's a great, great point that you mentioned there. Um, so I think one of the good things to kind of kind of mentioned now is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of common mistakes people make when getting their goods manufactured. Um, obviously not doing inspections is a big one. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, we were talking right before this and, and you were mentioning some, some things about like fraud and bribery. And, and I think it kind of fits in this conversation is like, you know, there, there's mistakes that you can even do when working with an inspection company, but kind of just fill in the gaps of maybe some common mistakes you've seen people make. Um, maybe, maybe it is because, you know, they didn't, they trusted the wrong person or whatever. And just from your perspective, how that, how that has either played out or if you've, if you've actually had experience with that. Yeah. I think, uh, as you mentioned, I think, uh, I really want to tell my story about uh, these orthotics. It's the orthotic story. So <laughs> I live in a Chicago suburb and I went to my local uh, foot doctor here. I don't know. It's like some fancy name. I don't know what the name is. I just call him the podiatrist. <laughs> podiatrist. Yeah, so I went to the podiatrist and uh, I went and talked with him. So I was having some shin pains and uh, when I was like running and stuff, so I'm a flat footed person. So I was like, okay, Hey, let me talk to this guy. And I went to his office. We had a really good conversation. Super, super nice down to earth guy. I loved him. Uh, so we had a really good conversation and, uh, you know, he liked me. I liked him. It was a pretty awesome conversation. And then at the end of the conversation, he was like, you know what, Sajak, uh, you know, I think what you need is these over-the-counter orthotics and this is going to fix your problem. If it doesn't fix your problem, come back. And he handed me a pair of $50 orthotics and I said, this is what you need. And I was like, oh, okay, awesome. Like, can I get these here? And he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you these pair for free. And it's a $50 pair of orthotics. He made, he highlighted that. And I was like, oh, okay, awesome. Well, thank you. 
And, uh, and then at the end, like two minutes later, he's like, okay, just wait here. I'm going to get the nurse and she's going to check you out. Two minutes later, he comes back with the nurse and uh, he's like, okay, Sajak, I'm going to need you to follow this nurse out. She's going to take you through the back. Uh, just because, you know, uh, the, the hospital group I work for, it's a billion dollar company. Uh, you know, they don't like me giving away shit for free. So I'm going to have you follow this nurse out. And I was like, oh, you know, like, Hey, you know, don't worry about it. Like I was going to, I was prepared to buy this anyways. Like I'll, I'll pay for this. It's not a big deal. He's like, no, no, no. I insist you take this for free. And, um, you know, otherwise you're not going to leave out this place without it. And I was like, okay, all right, well you make a good case. I'll take it. And I walked out and I was thinking about it. And that's actually something that happens with inspections as well. People think, you know, fraud and bribery is a zero sum game. So, you know, you bribe the inspector, they're going to pass your inspection. And yeah, uh, the thing with that is that with bribes in a general sense, an inspector can get bribed and still fail your inspection. And in the same way, inspectors don't need a bribe and they can still pass your inspections uh, fraudulently. And this kind of the same thing that happened here. So with the mentality of the doctor, his idea was, you know, hey, I have these $50 orthotics and, uh, you know, what's $50 for this billion dollar hospital group is probably it's going to help this guy, you know, every day. So I'm just going to give it to him for free. It's not that big of a deal. And that's kind of the way that he looked at it. And that's kind of what he you know, implied when I was with him. And in the same way, you know, when you have an inspector on the ground in China and, you know, they go to the factory and they talk with the rep, the rep gives them lunch, you know, hey, I'm going to buy you lunch. Don't worry about it. I insist. Here's lunch, you know, super respectful to work with the inspector and uh, the inspector, you know, works with them, there's a human element. And then they say, okay, hey, you know, inspector, hey, if this order fails, I'm not going to, I'm going to lose my job. And then, uh, you know, the inspector thinks, okay, hey, you know, if I pass this bad batch, okay, this person here will keep their job. And this person here, I'd only lose it. You know, it's a billion dollar company or hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, company in the US, they're earning a ton of money. What's this one small order for them? You know, they're going to just eat up the loss. They're making so much money. It's nothing for them. Uh, But this person here will lose their job. So I'm going to go ahead and pass this inspection, or I'm going to reduce the defect count a little bit, just so it's it's more inclined to pass the inspection. It's a human element that creates fraud and bribery. And, you know, that's also what influences inspectors to take bribes because they're like, hey, you know, this, uh, the management here is overworking me. They're underpaying me. Uh, you know, they don't care whether I do a good or not job. So therefore the clients don't care either. They're hundred million dollar companies. What's the, you know, bad inspection for them. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to take a bribe and, you know, make some money and go along my way. I'm not going to spend 15 hours doing an eight hour inspection. Uh, you know, eight hours doing a 15 hour inspection, you know, rushing and, you know, killing myself over it. So that's kind of the same thing that happens. You know, I didn't give a bribe to that uh, foot doctor saying, hey, $25, give me a $50 orthotic for free. You just gave it to me for free. So one of the key things that, you know, I always like to say when it comes to inspection companies, you really want to see how they actually manage the human side of the inspection, because that's what makes a big difference when it comes to fraud and bribery and inspections. So a lot of people have this misconception that labor in China costs three to $5 an hour. And in reality, for well-trained bilingual inspectors, specifically in China, after you've considered social security, company taxes, and all this other stuff, um, it's about 13 to $19 an hour. So on an average inspection, you're already spending about $100, $150 just on the inspector time. Then you have the fraud and bribery auditing costs, you have the travel costs to the factory, you have administrative costs, you have training costs, you have all these other costs that you have to add up. And then obviously the inspection company has to make a margin as well. So in reality, when you add up all of those different costs, it's almost impossible to do a good inspection under $300. And the other thing is that you want to make sure that you're not putting extreme pressure on the inspector to actually do an inspection. So what most inspection companies do, and Alibaba inspection companies, any inspection company, they're notorious for this. 
they just say, hey, you know, we can do X number of units in a day. And then they don't really think about the tests and the specific instructions those units have. And what ends up happening is when you add up all the time, it might take 12 hours to do this inspection that they think is going to take eight hours. So they go send this inspector to the factory and the inspector has, you know, way more work than they need to do. And if you have a cut rate inspection company, they actually put quotas on their inspectors too, that, hey, we need you to do two inspections today or three inspections because the actual cost of the inspection is above the actual payment that they're taking from the client for the actual inspection. So when you've factored all of that in, the inspector goes to the factory and they're like, hey, the management here is telling me to do a 12-hour inspection in eight hours and uh, they're overworking me. They don't care that you know, I'm, you know, I'm getting paid under market or they don't care that I'm doing, you know, I have to do this inspection that's not physically or feasibly, you know, feasibly possible. And uh, you know, they're forcing me to do this inspection and they can't take pride in their work they can't make sure that, hey, you know, I truly appreciate, you know, the client really appreciates my work because they don't see any of that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we do actually at Mobley is we train our inspectors and we try to break that silo between the inspector and the customer. So we tell our inspectors, hey, the customers that you're working with, they're not billion dollar companies in America. They're not making hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. Some of the companies you're working with and you're doing inspections for, they're startups. These are people who have borrowed money from their parents, their family, their friends, maybe sold their car, maxed out all their credit cards. And in China, it's a big thing. You know, you borrow money from your family to like start your first business. Sometimes it's your family's life savings. It's like a very like cultural thing. Like, you know, you do not mess around with that money. And you tell them, you know, hey, they're trusting you to pass their inspection and pass their products or fail their products. And if you pass a bad batch of products, you're not affecting a big business. It's a, you know, that will lose a little bit of money. You're affecting an individual. Someone's life, they're going to have to go and tell their parents, hey, I'm sorry, I lost all your money because we got bad products from China. And our inspection, you know, inspector said they're good, you know, things like that. So we give them the bigger vision, the bigger picture of them. And then we enable them by giving them, you know, we build on a basis of time. So we actually estimate the time of the inspection. We make sure that the inspector has enough time to properly do the inspection and actually check the products, you know, what is actually on a time basis feasible to actually do a good inspection. And then we pay them a good market rate. So they don't feel inclined that, hey, you know, the company's not paying me, uh, you know, I should take a bribe to make up for my food expenses, whatever. So we pay them a good rate, that's a livable wage, and sometimes a little bit above market. And then we also make sure that, you know, they're, um, you know, they're given enough time, and then we give them the bigger vision. And that has made such a profound difference in just the quality of inspections, you know, what's uh, seeable, you know, inspectors are not coming up with their own tests, they're using their intuition more. And also at the same time, you know, it, it dramatically reduces fraud and bribery, and it prevents that from happening. And, you know, that's one of the biggest things there. Obviously, with Mobley, we're doing a lot of other stuff. We have, you know, auditing costs, we do random auditing, we're working on a tech platform to get real-time data insights, potentially get body camera footage, things like that. But, you know, in a human aspect, enabling the inspector and giving them a purpose and then giving them the ability to take pride in that purpose makes a huge difference. And I don't think any other inspection company is able to do that. And that's really what's critical is there's a human element that goes down in the inspection process. Mm -hmm. I think it's also interesting that um, not even just from a enabling the inspector, if you like, to understand that, enabling the factory to understand that, but also enabling the seller to understand the human element within China, because I do think there's probably, you know, it, when you're removed from a culture, when you're removed from a country and you just kind of hear things that happen, you know, there are certain uh, misconceptions, I think, of how business is done, of how the culture is, et cetera, in the same way as I'm sure there is on, on in China from, from our side, like we're all rich and we're, you know, we're all, we're all kind of like 
you know, doling out the cash. Um, so I think that's interesting for a seller to understand that cultural perspective as well. Because at the end of the day, like you say, we're all human. We've just got different cultures that we've been brought up in, in terms of like how we do business. Um, I mean, there is a massive emerging middle class within China who are all trying to make it in the same way that we probably are as well. And so having having that understanding of why they do certain things that in our culture might seem like, well, that's just fraud, right? But actually, there's a it's a, it's an inherent cultural thing that is done for a certain reason. So I think that's really interesting to understand from our perspective so that we understand why those things happen as well. Definitely. Yeah. yeah it makes a profound difference. It's, it's yeah. huge. And you don't get that until you live there, right? Or if you work very, very closely yeah, with yeah. with people and, and um, with your suppliers as well to understand that. So you kind of, I mean, that's very interesting. I love that stuff. Um, really getting into the heart of the human element as well. Um, and you talked a lot about getting in, you know, inspecting the goods, making sure that you do it every time and not like once a year or once every, you know, five orders or whatever. But also a lot of people, when we talk to people, they think that you should just get a certain amount inspected, right? So five to 10%. So what would you recommend? Are you inspecting like the whole lot, like the whole um, uh, shipment, if you like, or are you, you know, what percentage are you actually inspecting? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I mean, this might hurt our business to say, but I frankly don't believe in inspecting the whole lot. I think it's kind of useless. It makes sense when you're doing like sorting, like you need to sort the bad units from the good units and you only want to ship these good units and you want to let a third party do that. But for like a general inspection, random sampling uh, and inspection is really effective. Now, the problem with percentages is that in a smaller order, you need to do a higher percentage to get something that's statistically significant and that's a reliable result. And then in a larger order, you can do a smaller percentage. So I'm not a big fan of the percentage model. We actually use two military grade specifications from a company called ISO. ISO stands for International Organization of Standardizations. They've spent tens of millions, probably hundreds, because they probably blow cash on this, uh, to create a statistical model to actually determine what is the least number of units that we can test while still being statistically significant in a batch. And um, so we actually use that specification and it provides us three levels, level one, level two, level three. So let's say an order of about you know, 525 units, um, it's about you know, 125 units for level three. Now in a batch of about a thousand units, it's also 125 units for level three. Uh, you get to maybe 2000, then it like starts scaling up. But in, general, in a general sense, the percentage is higher in a, in a smaller order and lower in a larger order. So for Amazon sellers specifically, this is the same system that brick and mortar sellers do. So if you like sell to Target, sell to Walmart, they're gonna ask you to do a level two inspection on your products and sometimes give them the reports. Now, we don't believe in doing a level two inspection specifically for Amazon sellers because the rate of returns is at least four times higher. And then in addition to that, you have warranty claims, you have reviews, you have all this accountability, which is one of the reasons that brick and mortar brands do terrible on Amazon. It's just because their products are not like of the quality that these customers demand. So you, they're always you know, pretty badly rated a lot of times. So to kind of accommodate for that risk, we always kind of recommend doing at least a level three inspection on every order. And that's kind of your, your starting line. That's like saying, hey, as long as you do a level three, you're in good shape. Now, a lot of customers, you know, it depends on how what their risk tolerance is and what their budget is. So if they're doing a luxury product, they have a little bit more wiggle room, uh, you know, it's a higher price product, then they might say, hey, you know, level three is cool, but I wanna do more than level three. Uh, but level three is kind of a really good starting point. And that's like the point you want to be at on an ongoing inspection, at least a level three once in order. 
uh, at the end before shipment, uh, pre-shipment inspection. That's generally what we recommend uh, in terms of sample sizes. That's awesome. Yeah, because, you know, I think everybody just wants to be wants to have like a guideline, a template of like, oh, it's certain certain percent. I have to have that percent. But yeah, you make a good point. Like if you only order 100 units, you might just, you know, sample or test all 100 units because they might not be that good or they might not be, it might not even take that long. So why not do the whole shipment? But, you know, 10,000 unit order, you're not going to do 100%. So it does make a lot of sense when you talk about it in that way. Um, I guess the one question I have for you is just kind of over your experience over the last few years, like, have you, have you seen anything that, you know, that you, you don't see other people talking about any, any insights that Amazon sellers who are listening to this podcast right now could maybe say, okay, look, I've already got a ton of great information and great value out of this because I know more about inspectors, inspections, um, obviously going to factories, people can't go to the factories, especially right now during a pandemic, uh, you know, fly over to China and stuff. So, in your experience, you know, is there any other insights or, or, or thoughts that you just kind of want to leave the Amazon sellers that are listening to this podcast right now? Um, yeah, so great you mentioned it. So actually, we I just was in a, uh, a situation with a client. I was trying to help him out and uh, one of our clients, and he used uh, Tradition. So there's actually three things that I think would be really useful to address, kind of three insights that I've seen uh, really outside of the scope of inspections. And uh, the first one is trade assurance. Uh, the second one is contracts. And uh, the third one is um, factory audits. Uh, so um, could you, can you guys just write that down real quick in case I forget that? Sure. <laughs> because, uh, uh, my memory is going to short uh, before we get to number two. So uh, the first one, which was, um, see, I already forgot. Um, <laughs> trade assurance. Trade assurance, yes. So uh, with trade assurance is, um, you know, a lot of people feel like they're protected. Uh, and we can actually bridge this into contracts as well. So let's, let's actually start with contracts. So a lot of people feel they're protected when they sign contracts, like, hey, I got this NDA with my supplier. And a lot of like Amazon sellers and different people perpetuate this. Like, yeah, get a contract with your supplier, do all this, and it's enforceable. And in reality, the contracts that you're signing, they're only enforceable based on the trust and the relationship you have with the supplier. It's kind of like an alignment of terms, but it's actually, for the most part, completely unenforceable, most contracts. And uh, I would say 99% of contracts. So those contract templates you're finding online, whatever, and you're having the sales rep sign it. You know, that's just like, okay, hey, you know, we're on the same page. And once you get into NDA, you're like signing all these other agreements. Like we had a customer who signed an agreement with the supplier, like, hey, if I get two inspections and they both fail, you can refund me for the whole order. And uh, factory sales rep just signed that. And the thing is that when you ask, the factory sales rep knows that those contracts are not uh, enforceable. So when you go push a factory sales rep, like, hey, I need you to sign this. Oh, now your signature is not enough. I need the factory boss to sign this, this, this. And you kind of push hard like an unenforceable contract, it kind of makes you come across like you don't know what you're doing and kind of stupid. And they kind of take advantage of that. And they know, okay, this person doesn't know what they're doing. They're uneducated. So I always like to say, you know, when it comes to contracts, don't think your contract is protecting you. So, you know, that guy, he got two failed inspections. He spent the money for them. And then he found out the factory said, nope, we're not going to refund you because they don't have any obligation to, you know, that contract means nothing. You're not going to work with us again. You've already, you know, indicated that or you're giving us some hard time, I've given you some hard time, you know, whatever. We don't want to work with you. So just go do whatever you want. And they don't have that relationship. The contract is useless. So getting a properly enforceable contract in China is not something that a lot of people want to do. And it's not even worth looking into a lot of times because getting a good contract, the attorneys that write those kind of contracts, they have to be bilingual. They have to be uh, signed, chopped, and sealed. So when you get into those kind of contracts, a good attorney to write those sometimes charges between you know eight hundred to two thousand dollars an hour, 
So, you know, they're super well in demand. And when they spend, you know, four or five hours putting together a contract for you, uh, even if it's template, customizing that template in two different languages, it takes time. That's a $10,000 contract. And that's extremely expensive to create. And then when you want to enforce that contract, you're still spending $2,000 an hour. So it's going to cost you $20,000, $30,000 to enforce that contract. And then when you open up that thing with China legal systems, it's a big thing. Like you might open yourself up to supplier issues and the supplier says, hey, you know, you delayed the order for two weeks and we borrowed the raw materials on a loan. So now you have to pay us interest. And then there's a gray area. And then sometimes what ends up happening is you go enforce it and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, which is not feasible for 99% of orders anyways. And the client ends up not realizing what the supplier goes through. The supplier uncovers a bunch of other stuff that they, you know, their situation. And the court ends up siding with the supplier. And the supplier, you're not not only now responsible for your order, but your legal costs, the supplier's legal cost, and supplier damages. So the Chinese legal system is not something you want to think you're protected within. It's not. And trade assurance is also another kind of fake flag, in my opinion. Now, if Alibaba watches this, they're probably going to sue me. But um, kind of in a general sense, I'm not a big fan of trade assurance. And I'm not going to say like, personally, like, I don't think trade assurance is good. I've had customers reach out to me and tell me their trade assurance horror stories all the time. And it's just absolutely terrible what I hear. So in a general sense, what I've understood is that they don't have a consistent dispute resolution process. Half the time, their representatives don't even speak English. There's literally Facebook groups and people post in their Facebook groups and on Facebook pages. Uh, literally, their horror stories. It comes across all the time. You can just look it up on Facebook and you'll see this. Trade assurance is not like the best source of protection. And from my understanding, their risk calculations, like PayPal charges a 5% fee just to process a payment between cross-international payments. And their buyer protection, it only covers like up to certain extents. And they, they don't really like properly... Uh, you know, they're not like involved in the process. Alibaba doesn't really factor in a risk calculation at, from what my understanding is on their finance into their trade assurance because they charge their suppliers pretty much just a payment processing fee and then a very small amount of commission. And when you're working with tens of thousands of dollars of orders with so many different variables, properly making sure those products are good just don't make any sense. And they can't really engineer that into the insurance. And the other thing that I've seen is Alibaba Trade Assurance, actually, from what I've heard of, requires their own inspection companies to actually come and do an inspection. And uh, if you actually go take a look at Alibaba's trade uh, inspection companies, they're pretty much crap. They're systematically designed to pass your products because you can literally look on their website, they have a table, and they'll say, hey, our inspection service costs da-da-da-da-da. They visually will check 500 units, but then they will say, we will only function check, test three units or two units or one unit. So if you have a product and they all look good and they only test three units, you can have a 95% defect rate. And just because you picked the right units, or even if you have a 20% defect rate, which is a definite pass, you have an 80% chance over every single one of those units to pick a good unit. So the chance of you getting a past inspection is pretty, pretty high. So it's not something you can depend on. And it's, it's essentially like, to me, to be honest, it's, it's pretty much a scam. So it's a false sense of protection. It's a placebo. So, you know, I personally prefer to just wire my suppliers 30%, make sure I, their business license uh, matches, you know, which you can do in a factory audit, which I'll get into third, uh, make sure their, their name on their business license matches the name on the bank account. It's a Chinese account uh, for the first transaction, send them the deposit there, and then, um, you know, let them produce the product, do an inspection, hold your financial leverage. Okay. Don't pay that 70% until you've done, uh, you know, properly checked the products, done everything. Then pay your seventy percent uh, final payment, and boom! Now you got your, you know, your your products, and they've been checked. You've not lost leverage, and now you can ship them. 
So that's kind of my, my thing there. And the third thing is factory audits. Don't like use PayPal buyer protection or Alibaba trade assurance as like an excuse not to do a factory audit. Now, obviously, if you're super cash strapped, you can't do a factory audit. Like I'm not going to sit and say, you know, it's 100% required, even though I kind of feel that is, you know, everybody is going to have a different opinion on that. And I'm obviously coming from a little bit of bias, right? Founding a company and kind of going through this myself. But in a general sense, I would never work with a factory and give them a deposit without doing a factory audit first. And I've actually been in experiences where I've actually, you know, done business with the factory and I've had three months of delays on a one month order lead time uh, because, you know, the factory is not properly managed. They've been growing too fast. The records are not good. They don't have proper processes. And other times I've worked with suppliers that, you know, seemingly were good, everything checked out. But then when I actually went to their factory and I saw they don't have quality control labs, they don't have any lab machinery, they're not doing any QC checks. And uh, just the owner with a couple of sales reps that speak English and Chinese that hire them full-time, it's just the owner managing everything in the factory through a notebook. And <laughs> just flipping the notebook. Oh, you, you ordered, I went to the factory one time. It's like, oh, you ordered this. Let me check. Flipping through his notebook. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, we're almost there. Oh yeah, I see it. That's not a proper way to manage a factory. And those are things that you can catch and you can figure out pretty quickly that, hey, this is a supplier that's worthy of working with. This is a supplier not worthy of working with. And uh, in my opinion, it's worth it because if you're trying to do a long-term relationship with that supplier, doing product development, or even just trying to build something, you know, once you get that first order, you want to change suppliers. We have clients that come in and you know, they're on their second order and they're like, we need to change suppliers. And then on their fourth order, they're like, yeah, we need to change suppliers again. We're not happy. Well, Think about all the time and all the money you've lost and all the inconsistencies in your product that your customers are seeing. You can't run a business without a proper foundation on your supply chain. And that proper foundation is almost impossible to get without a proper factory audit. Uh, so that is something that, you know, in my opinion, is super, super important when you're building a long-term relationship and really building a business from a product. Yeah. Um, do you guys do that as well? Do you help with like factory audits as people are actually sourcing their products? Yeah, it's a good question. So we're just actually entering that right now. So similar to how we do inspections, you know, we have a back office in the Philippines. We do them really differently. Our process is completely different. Uh, so in the same way, we like to do everything we do really focused towards kind of the people we're working with. So with even with factory audits, we're trying to apply a whole new standard to that. And we're trying to like focus on the parts that we feel is important based on my personal experience, experiences of other e-commerce sellers. So we actually have a um, beta program running right now for factory audits. Uh, so if you do a factory audit with us, it's through the beta program. It's at a discounted rate, uh, but we still do a really good factory audit. We're just kind of working out the kinks. Uh, so that's kind of what we're working on right now. And we're actually hoping to get that up and running. And also one of the reasons that it's a beta program is because um, it's not a publicly launched service yet. And our auditors auditing staff is kind of different from our inspection staff. A lot of people say, you know, inspector, auditor, same thing. No, they're two very different types of people. Auditors understand how the factory works, the processes, things like that. They're business-minded people. Inspectors are product-minded people. You know, these are people who are checking your products, auditors and inspectors. You can have an auditor do an inspection, but not all inspectors can do an audit. So there is, um, you know, it's like squares and rectangles. So it's kind of the same thing. You, you know, so we take a very, very specialized approach when doing audits. Uh, so that's one of the reasons we're in a beta program right now, because we have a very limited uh, pool for that, uh, that can do those kind of audits right now. And then we want to expand that once that program is up and ready. Yeah, cool. And what do you think? Um, so say someone's new to this business and, you know, they're kind of listening to this and they're like, oh my God, like I've got, <laughs> I've got to do all this thing before I even launch my product. Um you know, realistically, uh, I, and I liked what you said there about, you know, starting with a really good foundation, because at the end of the day, if um, you don't have that 
then you can, if you're spending $20,000 on an order, then you can burn that money, right? If it's all, if it's all um, rubbish, basically, right? Or the factory's not any good. So realistically, what, what kind of expenses uh, do you think that people should build into their budget for a great, uh, either an audit or a, an inspection before they kind of put that first order down? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. So, I mean, in a general sense, I'll kind of give a brief roadmap too, because this will help uh, kind of visualize this and kind of ease that pain for anybody listening. Uh, so in a general sense, this is kind of how it all fits into the process. So, you know, you're sourcing suppliers, you're finding suppliers on Alibaba or wherever, uh, referrals, you get your samples, you know, you might have five, 10 different suppliers that you get samples from. Uh, you look at all those samples, you make sure all the samples are good. You find the suppliers you want to work with, ask them some basic questions, you know, how is your factory size? What's your you know, annual revenues, kind of give them an introduction to your company, get an introduction on their company, on all those five, uh, five to 10 different suppliers, then narrow it down to maybe two suppliers that you really want to work with, you've had very good communication with, you really wanted to work with. And then out of those two, choose one, the, your favorite one. And then on that one, do a factory audit. And a factory audit is, um, you know, I would say budget around $500 for a good audit. So do a factory audit, make sure that the audit comes back, you know, uh, like at least with model audits, we actually have a scoring mechanism. So we actually score the supplier on a bunch of different criteria and then provide a weighted score to you. And we actually give the weights uh, and it's designed and catered uh, towards companies that have a quality first focus, specifically e-commerce sellers. Uh, so that's kind of where our focus lies. So, you know, we assign lower weights, uh, although it may not be that great on a moral standpoint on social accountability and stuff, but we assign heavy weights on quality control and things like that. So use that weighted score and determine, okay, hey, did everything on a general basis on this report. You don't have to be an engineer to understand a factory audit report, uh, at least ours. You, it's super simple, super easy to read. You know, if you're in high school, you can figure it out. And, um, you know, so look at that, make sure that everything looks good. And then at that point with that supplier, you got your good samples, you're happy with the supplier. Then you can go ahead and place your order, give them a 30% deposit, negotiate the pricing, whatever, get the order going. On the first order, depending on your product costing and other information, like depending on your budget, your risk tolerance, you might opt to do what's called a during production inspection, which is done at about 20% of production completion. So it's designed to catch those problems, those widespread problems before the entire production is done. So if the color is wrong or something doesn't fit, you've caught those problems before you've got to the final production. Because if you do catch those problems in pre-shipment inspection, when all the products are made, then the factory might say, hey, you know, we're not willing to fix it. Or if you want us to fix it, you split the cost. Or and either way, if they eat up the whole cost, then they say, okay, hey, we need another one month to do this or whatever. And then you've lost a whole month. So that 20% production uh, during production inspection is super good to get that. And one of the other things Mobley does is we actually look at the production line. So you'll actually get production line documentation. So you'll be able to see how your production uh, is manufactured. And that's really good because if you're talking with other suppliers, you want to do an apples to apples comparison. Now you have a lot more details than what uh, the factory might provide to you on your own. And you can also benchmark that to future orders if you have quality control problems. Uh, so that's a during production inspection budget for that. Um, maybe, you know, it's a small sample size. You don't have to do a very thorough inspection. Um, you know, budget about $300 for that inspection if you want to do that. And then the final inspection, which is the pre-shipment inspection, that's what you want to do uh, no matter what on every single order. And that's when you go in, you do a level three sample size, you really check the products, you do a thorough inspection, make sure everything is good, everything checks out, the cartons are good, the labels are good, the carton drop test passes, uh, you know, so the, the products are ready to go, they're in good shipping stage, everything is packaged properly, everything is you know perfect at about 100% production completion, do that inspection, get the results, make sure everything is good and check to go. 
And then the factory will repackage whatever units that the inspector opened after the inspector leaves and then get that product shipped. The, in general sense of the factory, uh, you know, package your units properly. You're not going to have to worry about them repackaging the products improperly, you know, because the factory still wants to maintain that relationship with you. So as long as you've had a good thing, good success up until that point, you're probably not going to have any issues. So, you know, do that pre-shipment inspection. And then for that inspection, it really depends on how detailed you want to go. If you have, you know, just 100 units, 200 units, and you're not going super detailed, it could be just a day, you know, $300. But if you have like a lot of granular tests and you want to do that on the entire product batch, like, hey, plug in all the units, make sure it works, then you're adding up the time. And then it might take, you know, a day, sometimes two days on some really complex electronic products. It could take maybe three days. It really depends on how detailed you want to go. But in a general sense, doing at least one day of inspection is better than not doing an inspection at all. So at least budget around $300 for that inspection. And that's kind of your, your final line of defense, per se, before the products are shipped to your customers. So that one is definitely the biggest one you want to invest on yeah. out of the camera frame. So here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you've got... So essentially, let's let's kind of round it up. Maybe it's around $1,000 if you wanted to do the whole lot, right? And I think what you were saying there, it's a really good visualization to think about what types of inspections you need to do and when. But also, one thing that we always encourage people to do, especially when they're first starting out, is not to go too complex with the product. So you don't need to do all these other tests, right? Because if you the more complex it sounds the product is and the more kind of usability you want to test, it's obviously going to cost you more because you want to make sure that it, that it tests out. So I think once you've got more of a experienced business, you've got more cash flow coming in through the business, then you can go to those more complex products and then go, through, go down this testing route as well. So it's good to know those things before you even like choose the product, right? Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, you can get super advanced with the testing and, you know, there's ways to look at that as well, uh, which is just like talking with the suppliers before, you know, the best time to talk with suppliers on the quality control requirements and what they do for tests uh, is ask them when you're in the sales process, when you're talking to those five or 10 different suppliers, ask them, what do you do for quality control? What are your tests and procedures for this product? That's a great insight where you learn about the machines they use and you'll get insights from all these different factories. So even if you don't go with the factory, you have that insight and you can use it in your testing. So that's actually a good time to learn about, you know, how to do those testings. Uh, whether you have a simple, simple product, you know, you still have some tests or a complex product, you know, you're, you're going to have a lot more tests. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sajug, because I think this is an area where, um, you know, a lot of people, we just kind of skim over this part, right? So we're, we're really focused on the sourcing. What's the pricing? I get a sample. It's awesome. And then, oh yeah. And then I did a quick inspection and, and not a lot of people actually delve deep into this until it's like you where you have a big problem <laughs> you're like yeah. oh okay i need to i need to sort <laughs> this out so thank you for sharing your insights um obviously you've had a lot of experience and sharing what movely does or movely movely i'm, I'm british so i can say movely yeah. right Mobley <laughs> does um and you know shedding some insight across that whole you know process and what you need to be doing which is awesome and i'll back you up on the contracts piece because i uh I actually have a business with one of my suppliers in China and it took us nearly 18 months to get that thing uh, done. W it's bilingual and it cost me nearly a hundred thousand dollars in the end. Wow. <laughs> so it was a lot and it wasn't, it wasn't for a product. It was for a business like, because it's was, it was a bit different, but yeah. Um, but at least I know that it's good. Right. But it costs a lot of money. So yeah, I would definitely back you up on that one. So how can people get in touch with you further? Um, if they want to know any more about inspections, if they want to actually work with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Definitely. So the best way to reach me is actually through mobly.com. And uh, whenever you're ready to like explore more on this, 
uh, we have a get started form. And once you fill out that get started form, we actually do an onboarding call. And right now I'm basically taking all those onboarding calls myself. Uh, because it's, you know, a 20, 30 minute call. And I can kind of walk you through the inspection process, answer your questions, and then get you all set up with our um, operations team, which is in the Philippines. Uh, that will handle your bookings with all of our inspectors in China. Uh, so that's kind of how we normally do the process. And then you can also get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can just search up my name. And um, yeah, so I say that's the best two places to get in contact with me. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Sajik. Um, it, you know, great insights, obviously, you know, from somebody who's been there, done that, um, and and had the experience and the issues. So, um, you know, getting the these goods properly inspected and, and also the factories as well. You know, we as Amazon sellers, we don't want to lose those $10,000, you know, $20,000 every single time that something like this happens. So it's great to, to, to kind of hear that there's, there's very structured procedures and strategies around how to, uh, you know, essentially you know, stop that from happening and proactively go after that. So guys, if you like what you heard today, you know, please be sure to hit the subscribe button and share our podcast with friends who might also get value out of it as well. Also, if you want to get some absolutely free training on what it takes to have a successful business to fuel your lifestyle, head to goteamreal.com to download our free training today. And we'll see you next week for the next Sprint to Profit episode. And as always, we wish you the best for you and your business. And bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you would like to get more information about selling on Amazon, head to goteamreal.com for some absolutely free training.